Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I am Braxton Hunter. Yes, you are. And along with me is... Not Braxton Hunter. Jonathan Pritchett. And today we do have a special announcement. And I was surprised actually that it took folks so long in the comments to notice that it was a special... Uh, what they think the special announcement probably is, and they're probably right. Um, Jonathan, before we get into that, uh, this is going to be a casual day. Q&A all the way. Do you have anything to say, any thoughts on your heart as we begin? Yes, uh, Nick, what you were hoping the announcement was going to be about you and not your accurate second guess. Um, I would like to make that announcement, so uh, you need to hurry up and get your schooling done. So That's it? That's all you got? Um, yeah, I don't have anything. For those of you who said that you are late I didn't showing make up. I did so... Uh, don't worry because uh, we're late today too. First time ever being late. No, on it's Trinity not. Radio. Surely it didn't. No, I think it is on these live streams. And uh, the first but, time being this late, but we've. Christ Thinker says, "Is the announcement your glorious beard?" Yes. Jonathan just told me to shave my beard. So no, I told you to trim your beard. Tell me to get rid of my beard. I did. I get said no make it thing. like it used to be. He doesn't like change. He's like a Baptist deacon. That's right. Um, That's exactly without the cigarettes. And Christ thinker is one upping uh, Mike Winger's Bible thinker by going to Christ thinker. Uh, okay. Uh, nice haircut. Preach it. Someone says so. Yes, I did get a haircut. Thank you for noticing. You're like the only person in the world, including family, that noticed that I got a haircut. But thank you. So the uh, the documentary. There is a documentary, and most of you who come to this channel a lot probably already know this. But I hosted a documentary uh, in Turkey for the seven churches listed in Revelation, mentioned in Revelation, to whom Jesus writes or speaks. And, uh, and we went to all of them, and we filmed this documentary. No one had ever done that before. In one documentary, filmed all the seven churches. And so we did do that. And uh, for years now, literally, almost two years. Is it literally? Is it almost? or Let's see, it was 2018. 19, 20, for two and a half years, we have been waiting for this documentary to see the light of day. I have gotten permission to release it to you now. Um, and if there are later changes made to the filming of it, or I mean, to the editing of it, then those will just be uploaded in the place where you're going to be able to download or view directly these things. Um, and yeah, but at this stage of the production, this would be the director's cut, not the other way around, because the this the newer, is the Zack Snyder cut, right? Because the newer one's going to probably be trimmed. So, 
if they if they do that at all, I think it'll be shorter, not longer. So hey, Andrew. Yep. So so I'm so we're not going to play you the trailer again. We played the trailer last week. The trailer is available on this channel. But I do want to invite you to notice a few shots from the behind the scenes footage, which is one of the things that you'll get if you get the documentary and I'll tell you how to get the documentary, but you just got to stick with us and we're still going to do a Q and a. So if you don't care anything about documentaries, just stay with us here. Have a cup of tea with me. میگم اینجوری بشینه دیالوگ بگه اینجوری بشینه اینجوری بشه کدومش تو قاق قشنگ کرده تو تو پلان خدا گرفتیم حالا چک بیز چک خیلی خوب بوده همش خوب بوده من خیلی دارم There you go. Stephen so. Franks is skating by on his good looks. Ah, <laughs> yeah, I like the way Google Translate translated all that for you. Google Google is has really won some points for me with those translations. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. So anyway, this is coming out now or is out now. How do you access it? Well, it's very simple. It does cost. It's not free. And don't blame me for that. I do not have the rights for this. However, I am handling the payment situation and putting it on my website so it's easily done through our social media. And so if you want to, uh, and we're, we are going to get a portion of this, uh, of the funds that come in for this documentary through our channel, but I can't give it to you for free. I would if I could. And so um, I really would too. We, me and Jonathan were talking about this just before. I'd rather just have these as YouTube videos that I could just release um, and then reference to people to say, Hey, go take a look. But I don't, I don't have that. Um, I don't have that opportunity, but here's how you get it. You, uh, go to braxtonhunter.com or trinityradio.org or evangelisticapologetics.org. All of those take you to the same place. Pirate Braxton, Bay, Braxton, Hun no, no <laughs> braxtonhunter.com is a good way to remember or trinityradio.org. When you get there, click on documentary. The rest will be made simple to you. The only thing that I want to clarify in terms of purchasing this documentary is that once you make the purchase, it will uh, you'll get an email shortly thereafter, which will give you the link to a page with the digital downloads 
the actual uh, videos in video windows. So you can just watch them there if you want. Um, the behind the scenes, an interview that was done at the screening of it with me and Steven, my co-host and uh, a bunch of, bunch of footage, just a bunch of pictures I took on the trip. Like, like, I don't know, like over a hundred of them, I think maybe. So, um, so anyway, all of that there. Now, let me just say again, uh, because I didn't have total creative control over the documentary, there are things I would have done. The documentary was being done in such a way that though it has a Christian foundation, it's about seven churches. Therefore it's about something related to biblical data. Um, they wanted it to be secular enough that it could run on the discovery channel or the history channel or something like that, but they still wanted it to be somewhat Christian. So that left me in a difficult spot trying to figure out how do you thread that needle? And does this thing even have an audience? Contemporary Christian artists thread that needle all the time. That's like a normal conversation. You ever talk to like Christian musicians and stuff? How do they thread that? Needle? That's nothing. Yeah. Well, that's easy. Just put all the Christian stuff in the bridge so that when you do the radio release, you cut the bridge. It's easy. But here, (laughs) yeah, that's how I do it. Um, But uh, but with this, so there are things about it I'm not happy about. But that said, it's yeah, I don't like it. But go buy it anyway. That's what this. No, you're like the worst pitch man. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Look, the documentary is pretty awesome. I think. Yeah, it's awesome. It is, and I like that it's broken down so you can watch it in piecemeal and stuff. Yeah, it's in four episodes. Thank you, Luke Pixler. Yeah. I so appreciate that. It's really that. good. God it, bless you guys in your ministry. Fainting humility, Baptist stuff. Nah. Oh, and guess who? Get okay. So here's the cast. Before we flip the camera, I was like, dude, I was in this documentary. I'm gonna go get my SAG card now. Here's the here's the cast. Right. It's me, Stephen Franks, uh, a random German or Austrian, I guess, archaeologist that we interviewed, and Dr. Mike Lycona, mm-hmm. who is in every episode. So uh, more reason to love it. Who's your favorite on-screen archaeologist? Indiana Jones. And the hat that you wear, who does that more look like? You're talking about... Uh, your Renee Belloc hat. You, you're talking about this hat? Yes. <laughs> it's a Belloc hat. Uh, you, any, it, you, you should have went with a fedora, man. Uh, Piglet, pig swill bucket, piggle. Yeah, asked a question that I actually wanted to answer. So thank you for reminding me. And how long is the documentary? Each episode is about forty-five minutes long, and there are four episodes, so it's a lot of content. Now, it, one thing that that is definitely there Shorter that is the of cut. infinite value, I think. Well, is maybe. every word that I wrote that comes out of your mouth. Yeah, uh, that's true. As I said last week, uh, Trinity students and friends of Trinity um, who were qualified wrote the script for this. Um, But what I wanted to say is um, that you're definitely getting awesome footage of the sites of the seven churches. And most of you will never go to all the sites of the seven churches. And so I don't think, I don't know that I ever will again. So this is great because if you want to show your church what it looks like, you can just take the footage and show them. Maybe you're a pastor preaching through the seven churches. This would be, I would, I will, if I ever teach through Revelation again, I will obviously include this. And I think everybody else should too, because it's great footage. You know how it normally goes. Pastors will say, well, Philadelphia was a crossroad city. And then they go on to preach whatever sermon they wanted to preach. Well, how about not just saying Philadelphia was a crossroad city, but blasting them with modern day Alice Shahir or Philadelphia is and showing them 
everything, every angle of this thing. So anyway, we're going to move on from this now, but I just wanted to let you know, you can get it at braxtonhunter.com or trinityradio.org and click on the documentary tab. And at the bottom of the page, there's a purchase there. You can watch the trailer there. You can see a little bit about it there, but, but then there's a purchase button and that's how you get it. So it's out. It's out, Jonathan. After two and a half years, it's out. So when people ask me, when's it coming out? I can say, it's out already. Did your face melt? That's a question. Did your does your face melt off at the end of the movie? No, I was looking for that scene myself, but I think they ran out of their special effects. I could have if we had found the Ark of the Covenant, yes. but I don't think it's in Asia Minor. You would have opened your eyes. Uh, well, I guess no. Well, if I okay, so I guess if I'm tied to a pole and they're going to mess around with the Ark of the Covenant, so you and Sarah are tied to a we're pole. tied, <laughs> and and the only hope I've got is that. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas did that correctly and you just have to close your eyes, yeah. then yes, I would close my eyes. I probably would do it as a, as a, just because I don't have any other recourse. Yeah. Um, Capturing Christianity says, has JP gained weight? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm, well, actually, I just lost it. I, uh, I bulked up to 163 and now that bulking season's over and it's cutting season i'm about down to about 157 so i'm up from uh the 145 where i started before i started bulking so thanks for noticing yeah um, yep. but now I'm, I'm on my way back down but it's been a it's been a lean build so um good. here's a question relating to the documentary are there churches in some of the cities so yes um some of the cities are very small uh, some of them are not even in cities anymore uh, is that right? I think that's right. Like Ephesus, there is a town next to Ephesus, but the only thing they really do in that town next to Ephesus is tourism for Ephesus and then a beer company that makes a beer, a Turkish beer called FS Beer, which is Ephesus in Turkish. So um, you can you can drink Ephesus beer uh, in Turkey. But anyway, uh, but not the, you because you're a Baptist. The, the, uh, so, so there are but there are churches, for example, um, Izmir, uh, the, the church of, uh, Smyrna is in Izmir and Izmir is the intellectual capital of Turkey today. So that's like LA or somewhere like that. You know, that that's, that's, there's high society there. A lot of Europeans go there for a cheaper wedding because it's got all the European buildings and everything. It's, it's a, it's a very large city for Turkey anyway. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty substantial city. And so, yeah, they have churches. Um, so in a sense, the church of Smyrna is still there. And the same could be said for some of the other cities. Okay, you need to go back and first put up the, the uh, super chat. I there. skipped some super chats, didn't I? And, yeah, and our, our, Christoph, you took away the thumbs. Oh, Sarah, Sarah Fufer, please tell me if I'm saying that right. Uh, thank you for that super chat we so much. Says you, any Sarah. video or audio resource you recommend that explains the cosmological and ontological arguments for existence of God in a way that I can understand. So capturing Christianity, speaking of which, uh, speaking of Cameron, um, they, he just put out a, a recent video on the ontological argument that um, goes over several. Um, there's a book that I gave Braxton that takes you from Anselm to Leibniz, but I, she wants video or audio. So here it's it is yeah. on our short videos playlist. There is a short video, like less than six minutes, I think on, on the, the Kalam cosmological argument. So go to the, go to our, uh, youtube.com slash Trinity radio and go to the short videos playlist yep. and look for one that says 
God is the cause. And then go to I think it says, yeah, I think it says God is the cause. You go to capturing Christianity, and if you put the video on double speed, it'll be over in about twelve minutes. So, <laughs> and if Brax is on, you'll get it in three minutes. So, and on top of that, also, if you think, well, I don't know about you, fly by night guys. Dr. William Lane Craig has made several very well done, highly produced videos that are exactly what I think you're looking for. I don't know if it covers the if there's one for the ontological argument, but there are for the other major theistic arguments. So uh, go to Reasonable Faith or go on um, YouTube and just type in, um, I think it's Dr. Craig videos or something, uh, but also Reasonable Faith. So th there's your answers to that. Thank you for that super chat. I appreciate it so much. MJ Jackson is MJ here. Grace Jackson. and peace, good people. Grace and peace to you, my brother. And thank you for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to be on uh, his channel, and I'm gonna have him on TRX here soon. So, lots of stuff with him coming up. Whoa, a fifty knocks. I'm getting fifty knocks. Knock. Belief plus trust Belief. equals faith. Believe in God and His truth by His word, and because of His awesome, loving, and forgiving nature, we have faith there in Him. Go. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Knock. Is that knock? Yes. Yeah. That's, I don't. That's what currency is 50 that? Fifty knocks. Well, they're knocks. You don't know. It's just. It says knock. It doesn't say knocks. It's not. It's like people who say Legos. No, it's Lego. Singular Jedi. Singular or plural. You, when you when you look at American USD, you don't say, "Oh, I've got fifty USDs here." U.S. dollars. It's plural. Dollars is plural in English. Yeah. Okay, uh, and Punchbowl Haircut says that Craigie has one for the ontological argument. All right. So, Craigie, is that what we call <laughs> William Lane Craig? That's not Craigie. me. Braxty Poo and Craigie. There you go. I just about spewed out what I was drinking when I was on the uh, bus in Israel, and the guide uh, called William Lane Craig Billy. I thought that was hilarious. Billy, um, Billy Craig, so, <laughs> little Billy Craig. Hey, Billy. Have you watched the Egyptologist Doctor Falk's critique of IP's video? Nope, nope. didn't even know about it till you just said it. I probably won't watch it. Um, Is yes, that a YouTube video? the church split. You did miss it. We released the documentary. Yeah. Uh. Yes, Chris Date is in the house. Sounds like you have this a This is interesting. Dean Alley. Dean Alley has... He's a stu Trinity student. Okay, well, that explains why his profile pick is the Trinity Seminary logo. Oh, yes, we have a ba we're Baptist, so we pick on Baptists. I don't pick on Baptists. Jonathan picks on Baptists. No, we pick on... You pick on Baptists. I was we raised on, Baptist. Yeah, so was I. We pick on Baptist stereotypes. We play into them. Um... Oh, I have a, here's something we, we did can talk too. about. We did about the, While we're waiting on you all to cook up some, some good questions, uh, I actually got an email that my secretary printed out and put on my desk, and I think it's a good question. And believe it or not, I've gotten this question more than once. Now, um, our average demographic, according to YouTube, we have many women, we have many older people, we have, we have everybody, but our strongest demographic is men between 18 and 35 and probably younger than 18. It's just 18 is where you're supposed to be able to get a YouTube account. And this person asks, and so th this explains why people might ask this question. And so here it is. I'm not going to give you the name of the person because I don't have their permission to do that, but it says, I'll start by saying that I'm not sure. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Anyways, my question is that I'm a new Christian and like to watch slash read fantasy movies and novels, anime, manga, and play video games. That's like 80% of the Christians I know, <laughs> right? I've been looking into whether or not I should watch slash read and play video games. 
I'm getting mixed reviews. I know Dr. Hunter has mentioned playing PUBG before. Boy, that's an interesting collection of words. Uh, how many other seminary professors do you think that said about? I know Dr. Hunter has mentioned playing What's PUBG. What's the full name of that before, game again? Uh, Player Unknown Battleground. And Player I play Unknown. games like that. I would like some advice from Dr. Hunter about whether or not I should continue watching slash reading and playing games, anime, manga, and fantasy novels. Well, I guess actually asking more advice about than a straight up question. So here is, um, well, Punchbowl Haircut has answered it for us. He says anime is the dopest. Uh, but here's the, Look, I, I never I, got into anime. I never got into anime, never got into manga. Not sure what the difference is between those two things. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, ha I did grow up video game generation, so I still game. Um, novels, fiction. Here is, here, here's two things I want to say about this. Um, number one, if, if something is going to cause you, so first of all, is it intrinsically a sin? Okay. Murder is a sin. It's wrong to kill another person. It's not one of those things that we can ask about it. Was well, it okay to murder someone as long as I'm not causing one of my other brothers to stumble? Um, and the reason that language comes up is because, uh, there might be certain things that are not necessarily sinful like murder is but that could cause a brother or sister in the faith to stumble. For example, uh, perhaps, um, what's a good example, Pritchett? What's a good example of something that's not? The example Paul gives is eating meat sacrificed to idols. Yeah. So in those days, if you're going to buy meat, much of the time, my it's understanding... It's like video games, secular music, can you watch Game of Thrones, all of those kinds of questions. Okay, Game about? of Thrones. Yeah. Let's take Game of Thrones. Um, game of Thrones has, Thrones has a lot of nudity in it. Like a lot of nudity and a lot of sexualized stuff. Now, there is a, a healthy debate, I think, on whether Christians should have anything to do with that sort of thing. I agree. But um, let's say that we let's just say that we knew that intrinsically there's nothing wrong with viewing Game of Thrones. But because but if you're if if the nudity and stuff is going to tempt you to lust or go look at pornography or something. Okay, well, then that would be a sin for you, even if watching Game of Thrones on its face isn't. Alcohol. If, al if, it was, if it's not intrinsically wrong to drink beverage alcohol, but you're going to be around someone who you know uh, has had a problem with alcohol in the past, uh, maybe they're a recovering alcoholic, well, it would be wrong for you to drink alcohol around that person who's struggling with alcoholism, right? Because you might tempt them or something, given the circumstances. So here's the here's the, how it comes back to video games and all that sort of thing. Video games are going to have a lot of violence in them. Nudity um, too. Some of those games they have. A very lot of rarely would I imagine nudity in a video game. Like Grand Theft Auto had like a lot of it. And okay. Sex and all that. Okay, stuff. so Grand Theft Auto games like that, yeah. but like a game like uh, PUBG where you're basically a soldier running around fighting and killing people that way. Okay, is that wrong? That's a healthy debate, but I don't think so. I don't think there's anything wrong with playing out. Um, aspects of your uh, nature and um, partaking in a fantasy uh, that, that will include heroism and overcoming cowardice and all these kind of things, St strategy, all this. I don't think there's anything wrong on its face with that or watching a movie that has that sort of thing in it. Yeah. Where I think the problem is, is if it does affect you in such a way that, and there could be several things. I have to battle this with PUBG myself because the only time I get to play PUBG is at night after everybody goes to bed. Okay. Is it interfering with your relationships? 
Is it, is it causing you to become lazy or stay up too late such that the next day you're not functioning like you should? Is it tempting you to engage in some sinful activity? Hopefully playing a violent video game isn't going to tempt you to go out and be violent in, in the physical world. And of course, that is a whole debate in culture itself, even outside of Christianity. But certain games and certain films could tempt you to other sins. So I don't think, given the video game, that there's anything necessarily sinful about playing a video game that includes some violence. Uh, or same with anime, yeah, I mean, same with novels and fantasy. The nudity and but stuff is the harder question. If it's going to tempt you to do those things or impede you in serving the Lord in some other way, then you shouldn't have anything to do with it. Now, let's go on to that second thing. Let We, we gave you Game of Thrones for the sake of discussion a moment ago. Yeah. But I'm not sure Christians should be watching Game of Thrones. I'm not sure Christians should be watching anything with graphic nudity, especially sexualized nudity. Yeah. Now, take on the other hand something like Schindler's List. There's more nudity in Schindler's List than most movies that have nudity. But it's not sexualized nudity. It's a historical depiction of something that actually happened and not even so much for your entertainment as to horrify you about the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, that's a different category. So there is an element of common sense to this. Uh, but I think that there's certain things that that are inexcusable. Pritchett? Well, there's... John Piper and Calvinists who are watching try not to faint that I'm going to say something nice about John Piper. But I think that he's right when he talks about violence. That can be faked. That's staged or whatever. But when it's an actual naked woman who's burying all of her body parts or lady stuff for the camera, that's not... Well, I think some people will have CGI touch up even that too. But it's still more or less you're looking at an actual human being naked and could you do that in your own living room, right? Because that's exactly where that is. Um, the flip side of it is uh, some people's, it's one of those for me, it's everything is uh, permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So I don't watch stuff like that. Um, if it has highly sexualized content, violence, I have no problem with. Uh, sexual content, what bothers me is sometimes it gets more and more gratuitous in some of these HBO shows where it doesn't even do anything for the story. It's just there for the sake of being there. And so it, it could be just as good without it. And I don't know why they don't offer alternatives instead of throwing fits about artistic integrity when you could actually get more viewers that way. Cause I remember that one service edited some of that stuff out and you could pick how much stuff. And then they threw a fit about that. I, I don't understand that. I think more people would enjoy it, but the, the question is should, and I can't answer questions like should when it comes to these things, whether it's video games or movies or, or music and what kind of uh, what, what content is too much. I mean, we've got to be honest. The Bible has a lot of sex and violence in it. It just does. It is not a PG book. It is not a PG-13 book. It is an R-rated book when it comes to sex and violence. Um, that it's not a visual medium, I think teases us in the modern world to thinking that because it's not a visual medium, that it's somehow less inappropriate because it's written. And I, I think that's, that's not a valid argument. Um, cause there are th things uh, going through the entire old Testament every night with my kids who are now, well, I say kids with teenagers, you have a lot of interesting discussions because of the content of much of the old Testament that is pretty raw. So, 
should is not something I can answer, um, but that's something you're all going to have to answer for yourselves. And I make no judgments about people who can watch Game of Thrones or movies and video sh- or television shows like that or play video games. I make no judgments. I don't care. Uh, the only judgments I make is, have you read all of the books in the canon of the great books? No. Then why are you watching television? That's the only judgment I make. But I can't make everyone read what I read. So other than that, I don't I don't get involved with what people want to watch and play and all that stuff. So I think you all can right. be a Christian and, and do that stuff. I just be careful with it. That's That's all you can tell somebody. You know, someone asked something at the top of the show that I completely, where am I, uh, forgot about. And that is... Volmeyer one says if first Corinthians or first Timothy three, two through three indicates that a pastor must be a man. Does it also indicate that he must be married and with children? No less. Now I think it could be. So I'm a soft complementarian, uh, but uh, just looking at this on the face of it. And of course we've got the new Testament theologist here. Who's a new Testament expert. Where well him and I Pritchett. go over like three hours worth of stuff discussing all this but, on Trinity radio extra for those who are interested. But um, actually, I think if the idea here is you're saying if I mean, you could be just legitimately asking this, but if the reason you're asking is to nudge forward an idea that, well, surely you don't think that it has to be married or have kids to be a pastor. So why do you think it has to be a man? If that's the notion and it may well not be, um, I actually do think it's whether it's a requirement or not, um, go listen to, um, Jonathan and uh, Nick Quint on that on Trinity Radio Extra. But I actually think it's a benefit if a guy is married and has kids. Because one of the ideas I think about being an, an uh, not the youngest person, even though I was, I was 20 years old when I first pastored, is that w- if you have kids, you're probably in your you know late 20s, 30s, maybe late 30s. And we've actually had time to watch you. Or people can know about you from the community what you're kind of like, you get a sense of what kind of a leader you are, what kind of a father you are in your own home. Um, if you have kids, even like if you have friends that have kids, even if you don't have kids, have you not noticed that you can kind of get a sense of what their home life is like with those kids just from being around them in public or from being in their house when they know you're coming? Um, I think that's an indicator of whether this person is going to be a good leader. Um, so I actually think that having kids and being married, whether or not it's a requirement is actually helpful in determining who your pastor should be. What are your thoughts on that, Pritchett? I've never said that. To I you. have a whole bunch of recorded thoughts on this subject. So okay. go, go to Trinity radio extra, get all you want on those issues. Jonathan, have you read 1984 recently? Would you include not that in recently, but list? it is included. If you go to Trinity radio prime time discussion. Okay. It's a Facebook group. I have what I think is, it's not the end all be all list of books, but I think it is a very good list of books that everyone should read. And it's not exhaustive, but I think it's comprehensive enough. Um, and that's on it. I have not read it recently, but that, that is on it. And, uh, you should, uh, have read it before you die, just like everything else in that list. Oh, and by the way, I included a Braxton Hunter book on that list. Thank you. It's up there with 
Plutarch and is it Letters from Ignorance? It is because the only book worthy of that list. <laughs> I like all your books, but I like a lot of. But that one looks like it could be a classic, maybe. Yeah, it's a future oh, classic. Is it what ESPN would call an instant classic? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It really is better than like ninety nine point nine percent of all the books that have been published in the last ten years. Uh, Jay Hamilton says Paul speaks on marriage. Yes, in First Corinthians chapter seven. Basically, Paul says it's to be single in the ministry. But if you can't control your urges, you may want to consider it so as to not be impossible sin. Well, he does say that if you're going to burn in the flesh, then you should marry. Um, and that's actually a very interesting topic for discussion. I don't know about in the ministry. Just he just yeah, says, the ministry thing to might be single as I am. So that I mean, if you talk about broadly, just everyone's service to the Lord. If you're living in Corinth and you either have never been married or you have a spouse that that you that went that was an unbeliever that went freely instead of remaining married and all that whole hairball of stuff that he's discussing, um, he says that. But I don't. I don't know that we want to push that. Well, and, as, and the thing about it is uh, everyone can be in ministry, uh, as you kind of indicated, but, but everyone can actually be in uh, a specific form of vocational ministry. Women, I know women who do that. I, I know young people who do that. People of all races, people married, not married, um, can be in ministry. The, the, uh, Paul himself was in ministry, a very specific kind of ministry. Um, so that that all needs to be taken into account as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, but if you're if you're saying Paul wasn't married, is Paul giving a list of qualifications that would disqualify himself from? Uh, then I agree with you, yeah, because I don't think that that is a prescriptive list anyway. So, and you can hear why on Trinity Radio Extra. Punchbowl haircut says, "Dear Paul, what percentage of people do you think do not burn with passion?" <laughs> I mean, there are you know. Well, believe it or not, there are. I've people. met some people that just have very little interest in there are people who claim to be a part of the asexual community who just don't have much of a sex drive. And, uh, and there may be people there may, be, I think we'd have to take Paul there with burning with passion to mean won't be able to control themselves. Like they're going to end up, you know, uh, fornicating uh, or, or something. So, because clearly there, I mean, there are people who, are doing what he's requesting there and they still want to be sexually active, but they're able to give it up for whatever reason they're able to go without and they're not going to end up going out and fornicating or looking at porn or whatever. Um, and so I, I think that, that that would be a good way to interpret it. Someone who is going to burn in the flesh is someone who can't control themselves. They're going to do this. Um, and I know both kinds of people, uh, so I think I think that's good to say. I think you missed Rodney's. Uh, I did miss Rodney. I'm coming back to Rodney. Okay. Rodney! Oh my gosh, Rodney! Thank you so much, Rodney. Greetings, guys. Have a iced coffee that on me. Nonsense that Braxton drinks. It's not you think YouTube atheists are a joke? You should see TikTok atheists, about as informative as a jelly donut. I, yes, I have seen it, and yeah. And, well, and I do think that most YouTube atheists are jokes, but especially the TikTok ones. But I think TikTok, John Piper's son is an atheist TikToker. On, yeah, and he's bad. Let's just say. Um, I, you can't take what he says. Let's seriously. see. What's this? How has Braxton's fitness progress been since he was forced into theology and fitness in January? Man, talk about a quitter. No. Talk about a quitter of your program. But still walking, which is part of your program. 
Yeah. Uh, but thank you for the super chat. But yeah, I'm. Yes, thank you. I uh, yeah, my I've become disheartened with his inability to stick. He was going fine, and then it got wobbly, and then it just it, it collapsed. Look here, he who you, that's has the, that's Jesus. That's the thing that you've got, all got to understand, though. You can't want it for other people. They've got to want it. He who has Jesus has true life. I am someone who is talking or taking the suggestion of Paul. I seek to remain single so that my main focus may be on the Lord. That's a choice. That's a preference. You know what else it shows? It shows that sexuality may be a need in some sense of the word need, but it's not a need in the sense that hunger is a need or thirst is a need. You'll die if you don't eat. You won't die if you don't have sex. Um, there was something else here. Okay, here's a good question. White girl with Instagram black screen says, did Paul write all of his letters? I think so. I think so too. I mean, he had, he had a, like, we know that he had a scribe, but was he the author? Yes. Yes. I mean, when we say author, all the content for all 13 letters, I believe originated from the mind of Paul. Uh, I think that in several, you can, I mean, obvious differences in whoever his amanuensis was. I actually think that um, it we can understand now that we know more about rhetoric uh, and how Greco-Roman rhetoric works, that the differences between the Atticized style of rhetoric that you find in like Romans or 1 Corinthians and the Asiatic rhetoric that you would find, uh, oddly enough, in letters sent to Asia Minor, like uh, Ephesians, Colossians and stuff. And then I think Luke probably served as the amanuensis. Uh, I agree with Witherington on that. Uh, Luke himself did that work for uh, the pastorals or certainly for second Timothy. And I think that um, given Paul's circumstances, I think Luke may have composed most of the, he wasn't just taking dictation at that level. I think he did much of the, the composition of Paul's ideas that Paul wanted. And if Paul looks at it and says, yeah, that's fine, and puts his name on it, it's like when Mich Braxton doesn't want to write every single memo that goes around Trinity, but our wonderful uh, internal affairs uh, vice president will write that kind of material because she's frankly better at it. And then she'll put it in front of Braxton's face and says, yes, I like that it says this, and thank you for including everything I needed. Signed Braxton Hunter, and then it goes out to all of us. Did did Braxton write it? Well, by ancient standards, yes. Um, and so I can say easily that Paul wrote all thirteen letters, and it can explain some of the differences either in rhetoric or Paul's circumstances, prison being one of them, uh, that would explain why the writing would seem a little bit different if Paul was mainly shepherding the content. And I think that we, you. you Understanding those things plus sound dating of the all 13 of the epistles, you get to Pauline authorship. No reason to doubt it. Even even when our Lutheran friends and others seem to want to go ahead and say Deuteropauline, I have no reason to think that. I think that those older ideas uh, are worthy of the dustbin of history, and uh, there's no reason to see a need to adopt those kinds of theories. Person. Yeah, and one of the things that, as as Dr. Pritchett referenced, is that there seems to be a different writing style. Another thing is that um, Paul, in in his other letters, and we're when we're talking about the questionable letters, you know, 
the the uh, pastoral epistles spring most obviously to my mind. Um, well, and some put some of the later. Of course, Asian, there's more, but but if you go to the letters that are accepted, yeah. he's he's very theologically innovative. Um, which uh, there's another question from somebody else I'm going to get to in a minute about that, but um, but he's very theological. He's he's doing you know serious theological work there and outlining things and explaining things. And when you get to first and second Timothy and Titus, you don't see that as much. It's more about practical ministry. And so some people say, clearly this isn't Paul. That's not how Paul does things. Well, hold on, Paul, this is a human being. This is a real person. And so in a different stage of his life, especially at that stage, it, we might expect Paul to not innovate so much and give us rigorous theological treatments as try and give practical ideas about how to um, insulate what has been taught for the church going forward. And yeah. uh, and so I, I think that would make sense of that. Plus, Paul's temperamental and moody, too. So it's but but human, like you said, human beings are human beings and they have more than just one dimension. Uh, you can read certain works from an author uh, like Braxton Hunter and even evangelistic apologetics reads completely different than letters from Ignorania. And both of those actually read somewhat differently than like death is a doorway and other, uh, you know, just so the same author can have different styles. And, and what's interesting, especially is, over time. Yeah. Over time. Um, but in first Corinthians, Paul seems to be poo pooing Asiatic rhetoric pretty much in some of the, the, for those who've, studied that letter and what what's going on and the differences between him and someone who's eloquent like Apollos and how people get wrapped up in these types of delivery styles or whatever. I mean, Paul seems to be just uh, somewhat dumping on that style, to be honest. And then, of course, you read uh, Ephesians, and what do you find in the Exordium? This The, the, the most long, ornamental, overflowing, over-the-top rhetoric, and it's one huge sentence. Uh, in in Ephesians chapter one, uh, so you know what's suiting his purposes, telling people yeah. not to get caught up in these kinds of things because he's you know straight to the point. He's not doing all this flowery rhetoric and all this you know, and that's actually somewhat of a, a dig to people who fall for that and people like Apollo. But then you find him doing it because that's he's writing to Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, and there he goes with this high and lofty and you know over-the-top ornamental language that you find in Ephesus that's befitting the style. So different needs, different situations, there call for different approaches. Uh, Slavic Striz, Stries, uh, and thank you. And it's so Paul to do that, right? Thank you for that super chat. God bless. Is there any way I can go through your lectures without having to go through all the testing? Will to pay. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. You can audit courses at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary for $35 a course. And even if you don't want to uh, take the assignments, you see what the assignments are. You see what the the assigned textbooks readings are, and you listen to all the hours of lecture content. And if in your free time, should you want to say, you know what, I think maybe, maybe I uh, maybe I want to try my hand at these assignments or whatever, uh, and then you do the assignments, you're like, well, I actually do want to go to school at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. You can actually sign up for a degree program. You can pay the tuition in your audit course. You can turn in that work, and you can turn that into a uh, credit for your degree program. Praise if you the Lord. Want to do that in the future? Now back to Paul um, Carmel Crunks. Thank you for that substantial super thank you, thank chat. You. Thank you so so much. Says 
have you ever addressed Bart Ehrman's claim Jesus and Paul preached two different gospels? Probably, um, but I can't think of a place. But here's the interesting thing, Carmel Cronk. Just last week on this program, on Friday, not even a week ago, uh, New Testament theologist, which is Nick Quint, who's a graduate of Fuller and has a book with Whip and Stock Publishers uh, and is a New Testament guy, um, asked what he should cover next on his podcast. And I said, you should cover this very issue. You should do a synthesis or a discussion of, of uh, Jesus and Paul on um, the gospel, basically. So, uh, so uh, Nick can comment on this and we'll put his comment up here. But this just tells you to go subscribe to the New Testament Theologist. Do they have a YouTube channel or just a podcast? Uh, he's got a YouTube channel. I think he's got a YouTube he's channel. Got a YouTube. Uh, yeah, I, I, we never addressed that specifically. This, uh, but that's not original to um, that's not original to Airman. Bart Ehrman. I mean, you can get that kind of stuff from crazy dispensationalists. Can say that Jesus and Paul essentially they won't use the phrase two different gospels, but that's a, basically the what it amounts to. That Jesus's preaching really had nothing to do with any of us, which is of course nonsense. In fact. They were composing that for converted audiences decades after the epistles of Paul and 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 the the, the work of the apostles in the church. So that that really doesn't fly, you know, with, with most Christians. Uh, Paul uh, did emphasize certain things, but remember, Paul's letters are occasional, so he's applying the gospel to situations in various contexts on the ground. They're not, and Paul does mention the kingdom, by the way. So, uh, he, and you find a lot of the Jesus traditions uh, scattered throughout that Paul references that you read about in the Gospels. Uh, so, chronologically, the events of the Gospels came prior, uh, of course, to Paul's epistles. But they, the composition of those, the recording of those, for the benefit of the church and beyond, and for evangelism, came after. And they're not saying, and nowhere do you get the indication that the authors who are, you know, like Luke writing. Uh, a historiographical work for Theophilus in that audience. Nowhere do you get the idea that, but none of this is relevant now. And you, 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 you would, you would think that that would be an interesting point if people like Airman and on the other side, uh, certain wild-haired dispensationalists who think Jesus's words are irrelevant to all of us. Um, yeah, this stuff just doesn't hold up. It's just not very thoughtful. It's not seeing. It's not how it works. Yeah, um, there's a really important... We love atheists, too. We're just not impressed by the ones on TikTok there, or in our There's YouTube a really channel. important question here. Ivan J., my wife is leaving COG, Church of God Pentecostalism, and is really struggling with it. She feels like she's living wrong by not seeking modern tongues. What advice or resources do you have for her? Well, first of all, um, I don't think that... I don't know that this is important to answering your question, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't think that... Um, the the common views about tongues that you see in charismatic churches or in or in Baptist churches, the understandings that we have about those are I think of those as secondary issues. I don't think them as issues that you should break fellowship over, lose your faith over or anything like there's nothing like that. Um, uh, so I, I don't know if she feels like she's wrong, then maybe that's something to seek the Lord in prayer about. But uh, another thing to keep in mind is there are some things, and boy, I can see this being clipped by atheists and used 
But um, there are some things that might seem wrong to us. So we do have the moral compass in our heart. And as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit convicting us. But what can confuse that sometimes is sometimes we are wired up by our upbringing or by the church experiences that we've had to think that certain things are um, necessary that are not necessary. Um, and if the view of tongues that she holds, whatever that might be, is wrong, then uh, she would be right not to engage in it anymore. But that could feel wrong because of the time she spent in a church where, she, where that was really thought highly of. Um, so, you know, I don't really have enough information in this question, Ivan, to answer the question. Uh, my understanding from what I can get here, what I'm, what I'm trying to pick up is she had a view of tongues as an ecstatic language and uh, not another earthly language that someone is supernaturally able to speak. She believed, as often charismatics do, um, that that tongues was a heavenly language and that no human spoke except when they were moved of God in this way. And she has come to believe that that, I guess she's come to believe that's wrong or she's gotten into a church where it's not viewed that way. Um, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't have a lot of evidence here. If she's come to believe that that's not the correct understanding of tongues, then she shouldn't practice it. And she should recognize that feeling of wrongness there as possibly, though not certainly, being a result of having been in that church as long as she was. It could, it, it could be the Holy Spirit, right, trying to guide her. So um, the best thing to do in a situation like that, I think, is on top of your prayer and Bible study, to read good books or uh, look for good resources on it, which you've asked for. I think that there is a, a great book. We represent, we recommend these a lot. I think there's a great Zondervan book on, I don't think it's specific to tongues, but I think it's called um, Four Views on the Miraculous Sign Gifts. And I would encourage you to check that one out. Um, it's really fun to read because you got these four different representatives arguing with each other, basically. In the end, this is not an issue that should be a major stumbling block in her life because this is a secondary doctrine. And anyone who says that it's not a secondary doctrine, uh, they're the ones who are who are actually teaching something I think that's really dangerous. Yeah. Now, that's not to say there aren't views of tongues that are dangerous, but I'm just saying the most common ones, like that you have a private prayer language or something like that, or that it's, or, you know, the position I've defended most, which is, that this is an actual human language that God supernaturally allows you to speak so that you can do evangelism or something. Yeah. Uh, th these are not issues that you should lose your Christianity over or be troubled too much about. It's secondary. Yeah. Well, you and I, if, if you've got a patron, you can see Brax and I debate what the tongues are. I'm in the very minority camp of, of uh, people. It's, it's almost as if it's just me and James G.D. Gunn, but, uh, done. but yeah, I... I I'm fine with the prayer language and static utterances. I think that's actually what's going on uh, in Acts 2. Um, in bi and trilingual cultures, nobody would care that people are speaking in the various dialects. It's no big deal. So the drunk charge and other things about what they heard and what they spoke lead me to believe differently than Braxton does. Um, but as someone who has spent a considerable amount of time once I stopped being a cessationist, seeking the tongues and never being given that gift. I don't I don't stop seeking just because I, I've never spoken in tongues, but I don't get bent out of shape over the fact that I never have. And if if the spirit doesn't wish to give me that gift, I never will. And I just learned to be fine with that because it's really, uh, you know, Paul says seek the gift, so I seek all of them. 
Uh, I get the boring ones like teaching and stuff. You know, it's not, you know, my, my, my track record as a prophet's worse than Adam Coleman's when he's trying to predict how he go in this apologetics tournament. So, you know, I, I don't have the cool superpower gifts, but I, I'm not going to stop seeking them. So, but it, it doesn't have to consume your world, but I understand it's like people leaving a uh, certain independent fundamentalist Baptist and going to, you know, they find more contemporary worship. They start, thinking it's okay to read an ESV or something. And there is a bit of shell shock when you come out of certain denominational traditions. So whether it's manifested in tongues or anything else, I, I certainly understand that there is a period of adjustment and shell shock when you leave a certain tradition that has so much emphasized one thing that it can be shell shock when you move over. So just have grace and just be there and, and help guide her through all that. And that does dissipate in time so the, the you know just keep her in prayer and it does go away over time but but i understand how that shell shock it does take people especially for depending on how long they were in it yeah so it's good advice um hope bloom music says jesus took our punishment what was the punishment therefore what is the punishment those who do not accept christ will suffer jesus took me to hell the fundamentalist view of hell is correct okay Let's table that last comment and come back to that because um, I'm not sure exactly what you're saying, <clears throat> but let's 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 go with this. So obviously there's going to be a variety of views that are going to depend on, number one, your understanding of hell. It's also going to depend on your understanding of the atonement. It's going to understand uh, depend on your understanding of soteriology. So, for instance, um, on Calvinism, uh, because of limited atonement, Jesus died for the people and only for the people who were elect, who were going to be saved. So uh, he took their punishment, but everyone else still has to pay the, the penalty for their own sins. We'll come back to that in a minute because I know that's the heart of your question, really. Um, and uh, then, of course, your idea of what uh, what was the other thing I was going to bring up? I don't know. But the issue of, of, uh, of, of hell here does come into it. And you say, Jesus took me to hell. The fundamentalist view of hell is correct. I don't know if you're trying to say that you, that you actually had some sort of an experience where you feel like you experienced literal hell, like a hell church, like or something? God, like, like I don't think that's like what he's God, saying. Is that what he's he says? Jesus, I don't think he's giving us a hell tourism hell. comment. The fundamentalist view not. of hell is correct. Um, yeah, I don't I, I don't know what to I, say about that. I don't know that. what the fundamentalist view of hell is. I mean, there's a lot of different. What Christians views, are going to say about this is the penalty is the second death. It's death. Yeah. Uh, what now, that? How they? What that means? That they're going to differ whether it's annihilation or is it? Is it eternal conscious? So gulling? Is it eternal conscious depression? Is it? What you're calling torture? You know, there's all kinds of views of what the the. There's not one view of eternal conscious torment versus annihilationism. There's about six, uh, seven eternal conscious somethings and annihilationism. Well, and there's two annihilationism. I was going to say traditional, traditionalism is the term often used for eternal conscious torment. Right. But perhaps this person put fundamentalist because they mean like a literal fire and brimstone type experience. Oh. Um, if Jesus took you to hell and showed you that the fundamentalist view is correct, that's... Uh, Interesting. Going to be the most important experience in your life, perhaps aside from your own salvation ever. But it doesn't it doesn't give the rest of us what we need in terms of settling that theological right. question. Um, 
So anyway, the second death for eternal conscious torment, obviously, as Bridget said, is going to be eternal conscious torment. Of six or seven different varieties. The second death, according to conditionalists, is going to be death. Yeah. So what Either did you, how did Jesus take your punishment? Yeah. He died for you. Yeah. If you don't identify with that, what's going to happen? You'll die. And annihilationists have a duration of punishment before the final extinction, and then others have the Thanos snap final extinction. These are nicknames I give them. They're not like what they... You're not going to find Chris Date talking about Thanos snap annihilationism, but that's what I call it. For those who think there's no duration of punishment before final extinction. Um, Slavic Striz says, okay, nice. I'm from Russia. I'm from a Russian church community and they don't care if you have a degree, but I would like to learn for myself. Thanks. And then he says, can you guess what this is? Tulip. I, ne I need to see it. I think I need to see it in the original comment, but it's tulip plus L flowers equals a flower that dies. I don't know, man. Tulip plus libertarian free will destroys Calvinism. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It's the best uh, I've got. Yeah. I mean, degrees may not matter in a lot of communities, but you don't have to get a degree. I was just for public consumption that you can turn an audit to, for everyone who's interested. Yeah. Donald Neal says, Braxton JP, have you ever heard an argument devolved where the problem of evil is reversed? For example, why is non-suffering pleasure and happiness considered an expected state of reality. I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to. There are a lot of things people have done with the, with uh, arguments from evil to try and turn them around. Um, for example, the, um, uh, the one that cosmic skeptic referred to recently that was also from, um, Oh, what's the atheist guy that debated William Lane Craig, but the idea that uh, maybe you could, you could argue for an evil God, and use the same sorts of things you'd use in a theodicy. Uh, there's all kinds of things people do with this. Now, as to this criticism or, or this question, why do we just assume, I imagine a Christian might say this, you're thinking, why, why do we just assume that s not suffering and pleasure and happiness is the expected state of reality? Well, I, I think what an atheist would say to that, whether they're using a logical or an evidential argument from evil, is if you've got an all-good God and he's all-powerful and all-knowing, we would just expect that he wouldn't create creatures just to suffer and be in pain and unhappy all the time. We would expect that a good God would create at least where on balance, it would seem like there's more of the pleasure. I think, I think that's how they would respond. Um, I mean, I know that's how they would respond. <laughs> oh, you skipped the super chat. Why is the guy way back there? Seems awkward. No, look, we have, that's why we have the Pritchett cam, right? So that it's just me. But see, the, the thing is, I am not tech savvy. I don't know how to operate. We've really got to do the behind the scenes video. They got to see what all you're doing right up there. He has to be up on the keyboard and his three monitors and all this stuff because it's a lot to do. Now that the production value of our show has increased, it's a big to do that Braxton's doing up there that I think goes unappreciated uh, by many. But he's going, he's doing a lot of stuff while I just sit here and talk. So. You know, the reason why he's up there is because the desk is a curve like that. And it's just the only way we could. It just works. OK, it, yeah. it works for a variety of reasons. But just think about but I'm this. awkward. It's fine. Are you a you Star shove Wars me fan? In the back. It's cool. I need to be back here. But are but you this a, the best we can do? Are you a Star Wars fan? If you're a Star Wars fan, there are many scenes, particularly in Empire Strikes Back when they are 
um, about to land inside of an asteroid, also inside of a space worm, um, where there are many scenes where there are people standing behind the chairs of Han and Chewie, and they have their own chairs. They're sitting See, back a little bit. this is where his ways. production value slips but, because he hasn't but, switched the camera. Well, no, because I'm actually going to let you answer this question. Okay. Or actually, it's not a question. Fine, I'll just move the camera back. But... When you when you see Princess Leia, it's like a picture of me and your voice is coming all over. When you see Princess Leia sitting behind Han and Chewie, you don't presume that Princess Leia is less important to the story than Han and Chewie. If anything, especially in Episode One uh, or Episode Four, forgive me, um, she's she's you know at least to the first half and arguably the whole film more important than Han, right? I mean, Episode Four. Episode, I said I corrected myself. You missed it. All right, so that that's so why I'm the Princess like. Leia of Trinity. You're Princess Trinity Leia. Radio. Okay, you're Princess you Leia. Princess Leia of Trinity Radio. That's another T-shirt that I have my face on. Hope Bloom Music says, "Yes, I've been taken to the literal hell, and the torture Jesus suffered going to the cross is a picture of hell." Yeah, that's an experience that I don't base my beliefs about anything on the experiences of others, but that's an interesting experience that you've had. Um, but like Bragg said, we can't. These guys have an awkward dynamic for sure. Well, you're here, aren't you? <laughs> it, it works. He says, taken, yes, fire and brimstone. There you go. But again, He says it brought him to Christ. Okay, well, I'm glad you're in Christ. Yeah, we always talk about the... We think that uh, people who have come to the Lord through that kind of like hellfire and brimstone preaching... Well, I mean, Jesus had no problem scaring people into the kingdom either, so that's fine. I, I'm just saying that the way we try to determine what we believe about different doctrinal issues is it based upon the experience of others, and I'm sure you understand that. Because if I told you something, that therefore it means you should believe this, you're not going to do it without investigating it for yourself. So. Slavic is saying the tulip plus latent flowers equals the death of Calvinism. There you go. Thank you for that super chat, and Dr. Flowers will appreciate that. Yeah, but we're not giving him any of it. They should be. No, we're not giving him any of our $5. Sorry. Okay, Andrew Basham says, and thank you for the super chat. He Sorry, I meant- one and you skipped over it. Oh, well, he got it wrong, apparently. He said something wrong, so- uh, sorry, I missed it, but we got it in the in the in the edit. Sorry, I meant to say middle knowledge, so I figured I'd pay a five dollars. I'm thankful that Jesus paid my eternal fine, though. Okay, yes. so think middle knowledge. Okay, so now I got to go back to. I got to go back. Where did I miss it? I told you you missed it right there. There it is. Okay, here we go. Thank you. Also, yo, for Brax. These super chats. I have a question about Molinism. If God's foreknowledge, middle knowledge, allows God to know all the possible actions men would freely choose. Wouldn't God's free choices be determined by this foreknowledge? Middle knowledge. By this middle knowledge. I don't see how. Um, well, so so here's the thing. He could just not create, right? He could choose not to create. He could choose to create um, among perhaps several different possible feasible worlds. Um, but here's the thing to understand about Molinism, and for those of you who don't know what Molinism is, we have an episode on this, and I have an episode I do with flowers on this. And but, I have an episode where I grilled um, Dr. Tim Stratton on my quibbles with Molinism that make him answer, which he answered two of them to my satisfaction, and one still, but he, he gave it a good try. I'm still mulling over one of my quibbles. Braxton calls me a self-loathing Molinist, right? Mm-hmm. 
So there are possible worlds. A possible world is any world you can imagine that doesn't have any contradictions in it. Okay. So, okay. God is aware of the possible worlds, but once you give man free will, like of the possible worlds, because those possible worlds include worlds where there are no people. They can include worlds where uh, determinism is the case. If you think that determinism is not the case in the actual world, some of those other worlds include determinism. Um, so if you if you funnel it down to the subset of possible worlds where man has free will, where God actually gives man free will, then it's not just... Now you're talking about a subset that we call feasible worlds. Those are the worlds that it's feasible for God to create if he wants to create worlds where man has freedom. Now, this is the point where James White says, uh, or well, this is the point where William Lane Craig says, God's got to deal with the cards he's been dealt. In other words, in other words, God's got to choose among these feasible worlds of free creatures. He actually doesn't, though. He could choose a deterministic world or no world at all, right? But if God's going to choose, if he's decided to choose, well, God's got to deal with the cards he's been dealt. In other words, it might be that the world that most approximates what God wants for free creatures still has some evil in it, and maybe God wishes it didn't. Uh, but if God's giving man free will, then they're free and they, they're going to do evil apparently in every possible world, every feasible world where he gives them free will. So he's not bound by it, but uh, he is, if it's his goal, which it doesn't have to be, but if it's his goal to give man free will, well, then yeah, then at that point, God has personally limited the number of, or, of the range of options. So that's how I'd answer that. Yeah, I mean, it's what could do, would do, and will do for God, too. I mean, mm -hmm. there's any number of things God can do. He just doesn't. So, But what, what our choices aren't determinative of what his choices are. He determines what his choices are going to be in light of whatever plays out in the multiverse movie in his head, however they explain middle knowledge. So Okay, we're going to have to do something else about the... Um, arrangement how we sit pritchett because no, somebody we're else not. we don't change because of uh, commenters oh and by the way he who has jesus has I, I i'm being facetious when i say i have a boring gift i mean i i say I, this just being i'm not saying that the gift of teaching is boring literally it's just me being facetious and hyperbolic because it would be totally awesome if i just bursted out speaking in tongues or made prophecies not just foretelling but foretelling that actually came true and other, I'm open th to other it. things like that, you know, that would be, I, I want it to happen, but next, I just, when you don't have those gifts, it's like, if I started doing it, it'd be just, it's a matter of perspective. It'd be awesome, but I'm just being facetious. Pritchett is Gimli, not Princess Leia. Thank you. And my favorite character. Dan Settle says, LOL, thanks for answering my question. I didn't mean to insinuate he looks like an awkward dude. Just referring to the camera angle. Seems like you could use a bigger desk to have you both up there. Do you feel better now, Pritchett, that you know that Dan is not saying. I didn't look. think that he was saying I look awkward, <laughs> but I do. I'm I, I'm awkward anyway. It's fine that I sit in the back, but this is like the best thing. Because see, here's the thing though: if we were like side by side up close, and I was around the tech, he's going to expect me to learn how to use this stuff, and I, I like it better this way. I sit in the back and run my mouth on occasion. Eric Hernandez, who just recently had a great debate that you ought to go check out. Yes, I on did his watch channel. that because he's my favorite. He's the best apologist living today. <laughs> he gives. I think he's giving my Molinism thing a hundred. Yeah. He he debates the right way. I think. 
uh, Slavic is back. Thank you. No need to ch uh, share. I support Leighton Flowers also. I like both of you guys and Mike Winger. Keep it up, guys. Last one. Thanks for all your work. Thank you for that. Thank you, Slavic. I appreciate it. Yeah, we it. love, we love, I, you know what I love most about Leighton Flowers? How busy that guy is. Mm -hmm. And that no matter how busy he gets, he is more so than anyone else that works for Trinity College of the is punctual and on time with all of his deadlines. Unlike, including me, everyone at Trinity uh, that's uh, part of faculty. Uh, so that, and he's a dear friend of mine, and I love him to death as a dear friend. But my favorite thing is that, unlike including him, uh, he gets everything on time. He's like, I don't know, he is just the poster boy for you know, punctuality and you like latent professionalism. And yes. All right. Muggles cake sniffer says God created evil. Well, there are Bible verses that in the King James say that, but it's, but the word has been translated uh, to mean, um, yeah. causes, um, calamity, calamity. Yeah. yeah. So now in terms of, well, he created the world and the world's got evil in it. Um, Calvinists will answer this differently than we will. Well, they probably wouldn't. They'd no. say it's through secondary causes. But I, I would, I, my answer to this is God created the capacity for evil in that he gave us free will. If you give man free will, man can use that to obey uh, or serve self. And uh, so he gave us the capacity. It's kind of like saying um, that uh, the guy who created guns created gun murder or something like that. Well, that would be a weird thing to say. You would really look to the guy who used a gun to murder someone and say that that guy murdered someone. Um, when someone creates a gun, they create the capacity to kill someone, but it's also the capacity to hunt for food or the capacity to do target practice or whatever. Um, but uh, God created man with the capacity to do good or evil, and man did the evil. Hmm. What, Pritchett? Well, yeah. Uh, no, nothing. What? Nothing. Go. Okay. Kit Horton says, struggling with intimacy with God and personal holiness. Any works or books recommended? No, but, oh, Pritchett might have some, but um, if you're struggling with intimacy with God, so here's how I answer this. This is a more pastoral type of thing. But, um, you know, people would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing what um, St. John of the Cross or Mother Teresa might refer to as the dark night of the soul where they don't feel God don't as be, much as they once did. He wants Puritans, not their arch in a, enemies, the, the Catholics. I don't care. This is still know, good. Dark, dark, dark night of the soul. St. John of the Cross. Fantastic. But, uh, I don't know. I only really, really like two books by Puritans. Uh, well, wait, I'm not done giving my answer. Then well, you can then give your quicker. Answer. I gave you your chance, and you didn't say Pilgrim's anything. Pilgrim's Progress and, and the Reformed Pastor are really the only Puritan books that I That do. you're aware of. No, that I like. <laughs> I'm aware of a ton of them. Just... Okay, so um, the the thing is, when you experience that time where you, where you don't have the feels as much or you feel like you're not getting that connection or whatever, um, these individuals, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa and St. John of the Cross all thought that what that was was a time of testing for God and it could go on for years. And that's sad. But, you know, I think that a good way to approach this is let's say a guy's in his marriage and he's having trouble with with uh, 
intimacy with his wife. Now, obviously, that's a different kind of intimacy, but uh, he's having trouble with that. Well, um, there's a problem in their marriage. Maybe he wants to show her more love and show her more intimacy. Well, one way to do that would be to keep a checklist and try to accomplish this with a checklist and say, well, if I would tell my wife I love her at least once a week and hug her at least once a month and kiss her, I guess, every day and, you know, these sorts of things and bring her flowers every now and then. Now I'm a good husband. Now we have intimacy. No, if you would fall in love with your wife, you would do all those things naturally and you wouldn't have to keep a checklist and you would have intimacy. Well, how do you do that? Well, you need to fall in love with your wife again. Uh, people do that by going to marriage conferences or talking it out or whatever else. With God, people think, well, if I would read my Bible every day and pray once a day and reach one for the Lord a year or something like that, they've got these checklist things. And they think if I can get these checklist things dealt with, then I'm a good Christian. That's Phariseeism, thinking that pleasing God is like keeping a checklist. Obviously, there are rules and there are things that God expects from us. But if you would fall in love with Jesus again in a new way, not to say that you don't love Jesus, um, then you would, you, all those things would come naturally. Right. Um, and so you say, well, then how do I do that? Do I go to a conference for this? Well, you could, but that's not the recommendation I make. The recommendation I make is to tell the Lord that you're having trouble with this issue. And you probably already have, but say, I'm struggling with this feeling of intimacy with you, God, and I'm having trouble in the realm of personal holiness. And I'm asking you to increase conviction in my life. That's something I pray for a lot to, uh, to help me draw closer to you and, and just to help me fall in love with you all over again. So I think that works in a marriage. I think it works with God. So that's my answer to that. I don't have any Puritan books for you. Well, but if you want a book on, uh, well, the quest for holiness is a Packer book about Puritans. <laughs> that's Puritan spirituality. If, if that's a, might be helpful. But like I said, uh, my answer shorter. I, I don't really recommend books on that stuff anyway because i don't you're not interested in it i just i don't know i mean you're not interested in holiness no it's it's okay look if you want if you want fine go read from paula's press much of the the, the publishings under the the books of the classics of western spirituality series but you're going to get a lot of mystics and stuff and protestants get weird when you start talking about those kinds of, you know, Jesuit stuff and Christian mystics Ooh, and Catholic stuff. It's and creepy. Evangelicals freak like out. Witch they give doctor you, stuff. They give you tons of, really. tons of disclaimers about, oh, if you read that kind of stuff, you've got to use great... Dis As if you don't need massive amounts of discernment to read a John MacArthur book. So, no, Will I, there I, but be if you want intimacy with God, if you want that, go read, go read the, the Christian mystics where... Um, this whole idea of union with Christ sits front and center in, in their writings, and it's phenomenal, but it's not modern, so maybe that's better. And, uh, you know, use discernment uh, when you read all those medievals and, and I don't know why you say that. I think stuff. you should use discernment. Yeah, but you should say that. But people always give those disclaimers. When, when you read the church fathers, you should use your, you know, be on the lookout. When you read no, David Platt, use theological nonsense gibberish stuff in a when you read Braxton the Hunter used to say right but nobody ever says that they always say it about you know Christian you can discern the heck out of my books I'll yeah. just be glad you've got them yeah, Josh read, says will there be a politics channel for Trinity Radio no no the answer is no we came close to 
doing politics like twice. Andrew Basham says, fair point. It's an interesting thing to think about. God bless you guys. I don't get awkward vibes. Maybe it's because I'm awkward myself. That goes right along really well with C. Denise. Thank you so much for showing up. One of my favorite people. One of my Thank favorite Thank you for people. that substantial one super my, chat. And, and a Patreon uh, patron of Theology. Loving a good Q, loving a Q&A night long enough. Wait. Loving a Q&A late enough in the afternoon that I can catch live. By the way, awkward is good. Yes. 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 Who else? Who's our next target? Justin wanted to know what's our best book we've read so far. And- Someone's recommending The Practice of the Presence of God, and it's Pastor yeah. Mark, and I know Pastor Mark, and I love Pastor Mark. So I trust Pastor Mark. He has really good judgment. You know how I know that? He is taking his church on Wednesday nights through a series through Core Facts by Braxton Hunter. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Well, I like that book better than Reasonable Faith. Well, thank you. I do. Someone says that was a super helpful answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which answer I gave that was helpful. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna assume it was the pastoral one I gave. Kempis is the invitation of Christ is always a good recommendation. Um, I for that kind of stuff. Pritchett, are you ready? Well, we were asked about what is our favorite book of 2021 by Justin. That you've read this year. Yeah, um, okay. It's God to Lead, God to Lead Can Reason How. That is a Josh Rasmussen's book, How How God God Can Lead to Reason, but the way the the words, the way the words are listed on the cover, it's backwards. So the actual title is God to Lead Can Reason How. And that's my favorite one so far. But I'm in the middle of uh, The Principle of Sufficient Reason by Alexander Proust. The best book that I've read this year is a book that I actually started last year and wanted to read, but had to put it up and then didn't get to finish it till this year. And it was my favorite book that I've read so far, though it's only the end of March. But so far, Theology uh, uh, and the Democracy of the Dead by Matt Jensen is the best book I've read so far this year. I recommend it to everyone. And I even assigned it for... uh, incoming trinity students to to read as well it's phenomenal he clarifies it's 50 percent off he's just doing the facts not the core the core he'll do another time uh someone said capturing christianity rocks well praise the lord absolutely um no disagreement here uh nikki nikki are you showing up late nikki nikki says what's the huge announcement nikki was, the huge well, announcement is that the documentary is is released now and you can get it at braxtonhunter.com slash purchase the journey. In fact, let's go to another short clip of that right now. So that, again, was the behind-the-scenes journey uh, 
beside, behind the scenes of the journey. That's not your best performance of a Beatles classic that I've heard. <laughs> that was me singing in the car yes, with Steve. Yes, but it wasn't your best performance. <laughs> well, it was just in a car singing. You, know. you should hear me in the shower. No, um, I don't. I'll, I'll stay away from that. So I guess we're Theology down to... Theology Geek Fitness also rocks. So you saw that. I saw that. That's right, Benjamin. It does. For those who rock it, for those who are quitters... So we've come down, we've been at this for an hour and a half now, and uh, we've probably, we've probably done it, right? We've probably answered everything. There are no Did more we questions. Answer? I try to keep up with all the ones he missed. So if I missed it too, um, see, when you go that fast, it can't I think see. we got it. I think, I think we got it. But if we did miss your question, I'm so sorry. We try not to. I don't we will we be back Friday and we'll have more Q&A time. Eric Hernandez, I'm sorry to tell you, you're not the first person to set, make that comment, but uh, maybe. I'm not in charge. No, the, the version, we already discussed this. The version that you can buy right now is going to be more content than if they do a re-edit. Yeah. If, if it gets re-edited, it'll be... We'd be editing from the Snyder Cut back yeah. to the original cut. How many ontological arguments exist in a possible world? That's a good question. Thoughts on Lil Nas X? Ah, uh, what do you mean covered that? Go check his thing out on it. because I, don't yeah, know I have no it. thoughts about it. I mean, I don't like... Is he, I don't even know who that is. Is he actually related to Nos, like the real Nos? Or I don't know who the real because Nos is. Because I would be disappointed if, if, if Lil Nos X is like, I don't know. Spit it I out, liked, Pritchett. I liked Nos back in the day, and so. Um, I don't. I didn't. Really? I don't know. I don't know who it is. I didn't listen to rap. I now, was rock I mean, and roll all the way. Jay-Z and him patched it up, but J everyone thought that, that Jay-Z's takedown of Nos and the takeover was like, ooh, he's never coming back. And then his response, uh, Nas's response to Jay-Z was just, I don't know. Yeah, this is from, you know, 10, there you years go. ago. But, Hope that was a blessing to you about the history. But of I don't know music. anything about, I don't know anything about this little Nas. Uh, he made shoes with human blood in it or something. Dumb. Whatever. I, I get, and a provocative video, I think. I don't know. Go purchase the journey documentary at braxtonhunter.com slash purchase the journey or just go to trinityradio.org or braxtonhunter.com and click on the documentary tab it'll yeah. help you out from there become this, a patron at trinity uh, or yes. patreon.com slash trinity radio you can hear my old rap songs for the guy who just said i hate rap thank you jesus go listen to my rap songs they're awesome kevin henderson and others have said that it it's not bad so I take that as okay. we're going to go out on some more scenes from the behind the scenes, but we'll see you next time on Trinity. Are you want me to mm. say radio? You can radio. Sound. Daft. Take a punch. Action.
doesn't know what she said.